With Hashem's assistance, we are learning by Bekama Daf Kuf Dalid, page 104. We begin eight lines in at the two dots. We said in the Mishnah that if you stole from your friend, you have to make sure the money gets back to him. You can't give it to his son. You can't give it to a messenger. It's not good until you actually get it to his hands. You're going to have an obligation. If the money gets lost, you're going to have to still pay. Itmar, we have an Amoraitic statement. If let's say Shimon is owed money by Ruvain. Ruvain owes Shimon money. And so Shimon sends a shliach, a messenger, and he appoints him, he sends him with witnesses, and they go to Ruvain, and Ruvain gives over the money to this shliach, to this messenger. So if Chizah says, this messenger is indeed considered a good messenger, if the money gets lost, Ruvain, the person who was watching the money, has no obligation to, to, to pay Shimon any further. The money was given to the shliach, to the messenger. Rabbi says, no, it's not considered a messenger, and Ruvain still has an obligation to pay back the money that was given to him to watch by Shimon. Rav Chizda Amar Havi Shliach. Rav Chizda says it is considered a Shliach a messenger. The reason that I sent this guy with witnesses along with him, the Lake is so that it should transfer into the possession of the messenger and he will be responsible. Rabbi Amar Le Shliach. Rabbi says, no, it's not considered a good messenger. Why? This is the reason why he sent these witnesses. I wanted to reassure the person that's, uh, that owes me money that uh, this person is trustworthy. If you want to depend on him, you can. If you want to send it with this guy, you can. We learned in the Mishnah, if somebody borrows a cow, meaning Bob wants to borrow Harold's cow, and Harold, when he's sending the cow to be borrowed by Bob, so he sends it in the hands of his own son, the hands of his slave, or the hands of his messenger. Or if, let's say, he sends it in the hands of the son of the one who wants to borrow it, Bob's kid, Bob's slave, or Bob's messenger, Umesa, and then the animal dies before it actually got to the hands of Bob, the person who wants to borrow it. Potter, there's no obligation. It's not considered that it's gotten to him at all. So now the Gemara says, What's the case of this messenger? If this messenger was not made with witnesses, So how do we know that indeed this guy is a messenger? It must be that there were witnesses. And we see that there's no obligation. This is a question of Chizah, because Chizah says, if you made the messenger with witnesses, it's considered a good messenger. So why over here is it not considered a good messenger? So the Gemara answers, just like Chizah says elsewhere, that the messenger that we're talking about is somebody we don't know it from, from witnesses, but rather we know it because this is a guy who lives in, the, in this guy's house. He's somebody who's either renting by him or he's somebody who he stays in his house. So over here we can say that the case is talking about where this person who's the messenger, the reason that we know he's a messenger is because he's a guy who lives in the house with this, with this guy who's sending the cow. And therefore, since he's not done with witnesses, therefore even Rav Chizda would admit that it's not considered a good shliach, a good messenger. We have another question on Rav Chizda. We said in the Mishnah, if someone steals and he's obligated to make sure that the money gets to the guy he stole from, so he can't give it not to his son and not to his messenger. What's the case of this messenger? If the messenger was not made with witnesses, and by the way, when we talk about the witnesses over here, we're talking about the person who got stolen from is sending this guy as a messenger with witnesses. It has to be similar to Rav Chizda's case. So if we're talking about that case, if there are no witnesses, then how do we know that this is his messenger? It must be that indeed he did do it with witnesses. So, and nevertheless, it's, it's a question of Rav Chizda because we see that it's not considered a good, a good shliach, a good messenger. Our answer to Rav Chizda, Rav Chizda will explain, like we explained before, talking about a case where there are no witnesses, but we know that this is his messenger because we're talking about a guy who lives with the guy.
If we're talking about a messenger who was indeed made with witnesses, mine, what's going to be the halacha? In fact, according to Rav Chizid, the indication would be that it would be considered a messenger. So now we have a question. What does it say in the end of the Mishnah? That you can give it to a messenger of the courts. Why don't we say that in the case itself, you can have a distinction where we're talking about a shliach that in a case where he made it with witnesses, that indeed that he would be considered a shliach, he would be considered a messenger. Only when it's not done with witnesses would it be problematic. So the Gemara answers, Amri Leipzigole. The Gemara says, actually, we can't say that because it's not an across-the-board halacha. Why? If we're talking about a messenger that was made by the courts, so it doesn't matter who was the one who, who asked the court to do this, whether it was the person who got stolen from or the person who stole. It's going to be a good messenger, as long as it was done by the court. So that's something that across-the-board is true. But if we're talking about a messenger that was made with witnesses, only when the person was appointed by the person who got stolen from, from, that's when it's considered a good messenger. But if the Gazan, the person who stole, was the one who made this messenger, it's not going to be considered a good messenger. So we can't say across the board that whenever you have a messenger that, that was made with witnesses, that it works. So therefore, we don't say the case. We only say the case where the messenger was made by the courts, where across the board it's true. And therefore, our mission is actually coming to exclude the following Tana of the Brisa. The Tana we have in a Brisa. says, If you have someone who was a messenger appointed by the courts, he was appointed pointed at the person who got stolen from, but not by the person who stole. Or if let's say we have a case where indeed it was made only by the person who stole. And then the person who was stolen from went and took his money, from the hands of the shliach potter. At that point there's no obligation. The indication of this price is that if the gazan, the person who stole, had made this messenger even through the courts and had not yet gotten to the hands of the person who, who was stolen from, nevertheless there's still going to be an obligation on the person who stole if the, if the money gets lost or something happens to the money. So therefore, that's not like what we're saying in the Mishnah. Our Mishnah is saying across the board, whoever made the Shliach, as long as it was made in Bezdin, whoever made this messenger, as long as it was made in the courts, it's going to be considered a good messenger, and there will no longer be an obligation on the person who sent the money, the person who stole it, if the money gets lost. Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Lezer Damri Tarvayu, both Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Lezer both say as follows, Shliach Shalasoi Be'edim, if you have a messenger that was made with two witnesses, Havi Shliach, he's considered a full-fledged messenger, and if you give it over to the messenger, meaning the Gazlon, the person who stole gives over the money to the messenger, then he no longer has any obligation, it's considered that it reached the hands of the person who was stolen from. If you want to ask from our mission, the mission seems to indicate that you have a messenger, so it's not considered good, it's not considered that he's given it over, and he still will have to pay, the person who stole will still have to pay the person he stole from. That the case of the mission where it's not a good messenger is talking about a case where the person who got stolen from is making available this messenger for the person who stole. The Amarle, because the person who got stolen from says to his friend, I have money that a certain person is holding that he owes me. And he's not sending the money to me. So please do me a favor, make yourself appear to him, meaning make yourself available to him. Perhaps you can't find anybody to send the money with. So therefore I'm asking you to do me a favor and, and make yourself available for this project. So that could be the case where there's a messenger without witnesses. And that's why when the, ga- the gazel and the person who stole gives over the money to this messenger, it's not considered that he's given over the money completely and he still have an obligation if the money gets lost. Inami, another possibility, that the case could be like Rechizah said, that we're not talking about two witnesses, where the person, we know that this is his messenger because this is a person who, let's say, lives along with the nigzal. He lives, he's a, he's a roommate with the person who got stolen from. And therefore, it would make sense that this would be a person that would be the messenger that would be sent by the gazel, by the person who stole, to the, 
to the person who got stolen from. We continue. Amr Bihuda Mashmuel, Bihuda says in the name of Shmuel, we turn to Kuftalad on my base, page 104b. Ain Mishach and Mois Bidiyukni. One cannot send money with a person, Rashi explains the case, as talking about where Ruvain has money that's owed to him by Shimon. Shimon's holding this money for Ruvain. Now, Ruvain wants to get the money back, so he sends a shliach, a messenger, and he gives him a document that says upon it exactly how much money is owed to him, and then he signs his name on it. So basically, he's appointing this person as a messenger, but without two witnesses. And now, so if you go and you send this messenger, Ruvain sends the messenger to Shimon to get the money. So if Shimon will get the money over to this messenger, the messenger is not considered that it's completely gotten yet to Ruvain. Even if there are witnesses that are signed upon the document. Rabbi Yechanan says, Rabbi Yechanan says that if you have witnesses that are signed upon the document, then in fact it is considered a good messenger. Amri, so we say like this, Lishmuel, according to Shmuel, my takanta. What's going to be the way that we can get out of this problem? Meaning, how can we get this person to get his money back? So where answer is, Kihadir Rabbi Abba. Like we're going to see in the following story of Rabbi Abba, they, that they had a difficulty how to get him the money, and we're going to see that they did it in a certain way, we'll be able to see the same thing over here. Rabbi Abba, have a zuzi with Rabbi Yosef Barchama. So Rabbi Abba, he had money that was owed to him that Rabbi Yosef Barchama had. Amr of Safra, so Rabbi Abba says to Rav Safra, who it seems he was going to the place where Rabbi Yosef Barchama lived, do me a favor, when you come back, bring me the money that, that this guy owes me. So now when Rav Safar went to the place where Rav Yosef Barchama was, who owed the money, so Rav, the son of Rav Yosef Barchama, says to Rav Safra, Did Rabbi Abba, who the money is owed to, did he write for you a document that says that when you get the money, it's considered that he's gotten it already? Because I don't want to give you the money, I'm afraid that if I give it to you and something happens to the money as you're bringing it back to Rabbi Abba, I'm going to still maintain responsibility. And I don't want to maintain that responsibility. So he says to him, No, I didn't get any such document. And therefore, it's going to be a problem. So, Ihachi, so Rav says to him, if so, go back to him first and let him write for you a document that says that as soon as you get it, that it's considered that it's been transferred into the possession of Rabbi Abba already, and therefore I won't have any responsibility. So, before actually Rav Safra left, so Rav says to him in the end, even if he writes for you a document that says that it's considered that he's got it, it's not going to be enough. Why? Because Rashi explains that Rabbi Abba was actually a very, very old man, and Dilma Ada Asis Shechib Rabbi Abba. Rav says, it's possible that in the meantime, while you're on the way to, to bring this document that says that it's considered that he received it, Rabbi Abba will die. And what will happen? So this document that he's written that's considered that he already received it will be bottled, it will be nullified. It won't be relevant at all. And the, and the money will actually fall to be owed to his inheritors. And this document is irrelevant. And therefore what's going to happen? I'm going to still have responsibility. I'm going to give you all this money. And then it might get lost on the way and I'm still going to have responsibility. So Rav Safra turns to Rav and says to him, so, so what can we do to get Rabbi Abba's money back? What we can do is we can transfer it into your possession along with the piece of land. And then, then you can write a document that says that I received it. I, Rav says, I and my father would no longer have responsibility. And Rabbi, Rabbi Abba will get his money back. So now, so too over here, in our case, we had this document that was written, and there were no two witnesses that appointed the shliach, that appointed the messenger, but rather it was just written onto a document that the person who's sending him is masking, he wants this guy to, to be his messenger, but there were no two witnesses. So we could do the same thing in that case, and 
give it over into the hands of the messenger via a piece of land, along with a piece of land, and then it will be completely transferred. He says, his kabbalti is considered, I received it, and then there will be no longer responsibility on the person who's sending it. There's a similar type of story that happened with Rapapa. There were 12,000 Zuzim that were owed to him by this family, Chayzoi. So, Rav Shmuel Bar Abba was sent by Rapapa to get this money, and what they did was, the Bechayzoi, this family, so they gave him the money, along with a piece of their house, and since a house is connected to the ground, it was like a piece of karka, like a piece of ground, and therefore it would transfer into his possession, and, and it was they were able to give the money over without maintaining responsibility. Kiyasa, and therefore when Rav Shmuel Bar Abba came back to Rav Papa, who was owed the money, so Rav Papa was so excited, he ran out to him a, a very far distance in order to greet him, to, to, to show that he was very excited about receiving his money finally. We said in the Mishnah that if the Gazan, the person who stole, had given back the actual principle of the money that he owed, but he had not paid the fifth of the money that, that now became owed because of the fact that he had sworn falsely, so that he doesn't have to run after him to Madai, to wherever place that he may, may have found himself, the person who was stolen from. Alma, we can deduce, that the value of this money, the fifth that is owed to him, it's not just a fine that we, we're trying to spank him and take money out of his pocket, but it's actually money that is now indeed owed monetarily to the person that he stole from. Because otherwise, explains Rashi, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be necessary for the mission of this said that he doesn't have to run after him. Of course he doesn't have to run after him. He doesn't really owe him the money. No, from the fact that it says that you don't have to run after him, it's showing you that indeed the money is considered owed to him. However, in this case, for whatever reason, when it comes to the fifth, you don't have to run after him. Vim Mayus, and therefore if the person, the Gazlan who stole, would die, Mishama Layoshin. So there would be an obligation on his inheritors to pay that fifth as well. Utnanami, it's also indicated further in the Mishnah like this, if let's say he paid the principal value that he had stolen, and he swore that he had already paid the fifth, and then he admitted that he had not paid the fifth, so he has to pay another fifth on the fifth. Again, we see that from the fact that you have to pay a fifth on the fifth, that original fifth is actually considered that it's money that's owed by the Gazan, by the person who stole, to the person who was stolen from. It's considered a monetary value that's owed to him. also indicates this way, somebody who steals from his friend, and swore to him, Umeis, and then the guy who was the Gazan, the one who stole, he dies. The inheritors have to pay both the principal value that he stole, plus the fifth. And the reason that this is a proof is because Yorshim inheritors only have to pay things that are monetary values, that are owed, and not fines. So from the fact that they have to pay this fifth, it shows that it's not just a fine anymore, but now that it's owed, it's considered a monetary obligation. However, the inheritors do not have an obligation to bring a korban, a special sacrifice, for the sin that was committed by their father. Is it true that an inheritor would have to pay the fifth that the father had owed before he died? Or a min will bring a contradiction. I still say, You might think that when is there no obligation to pay that fifth? Only if neither he nor his father swore. Let's say he swore, but not his father. Or his father swore without him. Or even if they both swore. How do we know that there is no obligation to pay that fifth? That's what the verse says. That once he have to pay a fifth, the verse says, if he had stolen, the son has not stolen. So therefore, there's never an obligation for him to pay the fifth. So what do we see? This verse says explicit that the person who's inheriting does not have to pay the fifth. So how can we say previously that he does have to pay the fifth? Rav Nachman says it's not a problem. It depends if we're talking about a case where there was admission on the part of the father before he died. In the verse that says that there's an obligation on the son to pay the fifth, that's because the father admitted before he died, and therefore there was already an obligation. Therefore, the obligation remains for the son to have to pay. And the Bryce that says that there's no obligation on the son to pay the fifth is talking about where there was no admission on the part of the father before he died, and therefore there's no obligation on the son to pay that fifth.
Now the Gemara challenges, if indeed the case is talking about where he had not admitted, so you should not have to pay the principal either. If the father never admitted that he owed the money, and he never admitted they had sworn falsely, you should not have to pay the Karen, the, the principal itself, and you should not have to pay the fifth. And if you want to say that indeed it's true, that you don't have to pay the principal itself, from the fact that the Bryce is discussing the fact that the son does not have to pay the fifth, remember the Karen Mishalim, the indication is that you do have to pay the principal. Additionally, the, we have another Brisa that indicates explicitly that he does have to pay the principal. The Brisa says, I still say, I may say that when is there an obligation to pay that principal that was stolen by his father at a time when both he and his father swore. Let's say his father swore, but not him. Or he swore without his father. Or neither of them swore. How do we know that there's an obligation on the son to pay for the principal of what was stolen by the father? That's why the verse says, all these different cases of stealing. Yeshtamus, therefore we have a verse to learn from, and therefore there's an obligation on the son to pay for the stolen object of his father. So now, when Rafuna was saying over this, so Rabba says to him, What did you say at the end? You said that there is a verse to learn out from? Or did you say he should pay? It wasn't clear to him what he had actually said. It was, it was very unclear. It could be heard two different ways. Yeshtalmud, there's a place to learn from, or Yishtalmu, it should be paid. And therefore it's not being learned out from the verses. Actually what it said was, was that there's a place to learn it out from when we rebuyed the kra, and I'm learning it out from the extra verses that teaches that there's not only an obligation on the father to pay for the thing that he stole, but also on his inheritors. Amri, we say like this: Elamai lehoida. So we have a problem because why? If the case is talking about where there was no admission on the part of the father, and therefore that's why the son does not have to pay the extra fifth. So then, why does he have to pay the care and the principle of what was stolen? So the case is lehoida aviv that the father did not admit to his swear that he swore falsely benoi, but the son did admit to the fact that his father had stolen and sworn falsely, and therefore that's why he has to pay for the principal, but not for the extra fifth. So the Gemara wants to understand, we also said that where the father had sworn and the son had sworn, that there's no obligation to pay the fifth. Well, why doesn't the son have to pay an extra fifth for his swear? Because he knew, and it became clear in the end, he admitted that he had owed this amount that, the, that had been stolen. So why doesn't he have to add on a fifth for his false swear as well? Amri, so we answer, that the stolen article is no longer extant. And Rashi explains that when the stolen article is no longer extant, so there's no obligation on the child to pay back the thing that had been stolen. So the Gemara says, hold on a second, so if the thing is not around anymore, I feel not only don't you have to pay the fifth, you also don't have to pay for the principle of the thing that was stolen either. Gemara answers, no, we do need to, the case is talking about where the father had left over a piece of property to his son. And since the piece of property was around before, when the father owed it, and it's around after when the inheritor gets it, so there would still be an obligation on the son to pay the money that was owed by his father. Now the Gemara says, hold on a second. What does it help us if there's encumbered properties, there's a piece of property that was owed still to the person who was stolen from? When you have a case that someone stole from someone else, it doesn't, it's not considered like a rate, there's two different types of milvas, two different types of loans that will be considered, one case will be considered that the, the properties are encumbered to him, and for example, if you have a document that states that I owe you money, so then my pieces of land are encumbered to that loan. But this is a milval pet. This is considered like a place where it's owed money without a document. And in such a case, so there's no such thing as encumbered properties. Therefore, you can't come to the inheritors and say, give me the money that's owed to me. And you also can't come to the people who bought the pieces of property as well. Amri, so we say, onto the top of Kofayim of Aleph, page 105a, Bisham Bidin. The case is talking about where actually the person who got stolen from had brought the person who stole from him to court before the father died. And therefore, there's an obligation on the nechassim, on the property itself. And 
therefore the son, the inheritor, will indeed have to pay the property. Therefore, that's why he has to pay the principal. So when it says, If that's the case, He should also have to pay the fifth. So Rav Yeshua explains, That when it comes to somebody swearing about a piece of property, so there's a principle that there's no obligation to pay the extra fifth on such a swear. A swear and adding on a fifth only applies to something which is not kaka, which is not property. Only on things that are movable objects. Only there will you add on a fifth. So therefore, since now it's become something that has to do with a piece of property, because the original gzela, the original stolen object, is not around, therefore when he swears, there's no obligation, there's not going to be a fifth that's added on any longer. Rav Amar, Rav offers another possibility. It could be that we're talking about over here, indeed, where the original stolen object is still around. So why do you not have to pay the fifth? The case is talking about where the money that had been stolen, it was around, but it wasn't in his own possession. The son had inherited the money, but it was actually by someone else. Someone else had a money bag with all of his father's money. Included in that money was the money that was stolen. So unawares, the person, the son, so he swore and said, I don't know anything about it, I don't have the money. So he was really saying something that was true. He didn't have the money. It was in someone else's hand, but the money existed. So Karen Mishalim, he has to pay the actual principal, the Ha'isei, because the stolen money is around. When it comes to that fifth, so he doesn't have to pay that. The because when he swore he swore truthfully because he wasn't aware of the fact that this money that was stolen was still around that it was in the hands of this other guy who was watching his father's money